So we're going to continue our look on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but uh, before uh, I read that text this morning, uh, just a couple of things to uh, keep in mind. Uh, one of the things about fasting, by definition, is it makes you a little uncomfortable, right? Uh, and so, which is probably why we're not very good at it. Um, so I, I received a message from a friend this morning in uh, Ukraine and said that, well, actually it was from last night, that they planned to have their worship service, planned to have church uh, this morning uh, as long as their church building didn't get blown up between last night and today and that they would have to make other plans. So I thought about that and thought, well, you know, I don't like to come to church when it rains. So it's just interesting, right? So I'm really grateful that we lead comfortable lives. I don't take that for granted. It's, it's, it is a blessing to lead lives of plenty, and we, should not, um, we shouldn't hate ourselves or hate on ourselves because of that. Um, at the same time, it's a good recognition to us that uh, for most of history of the church and uh, for most of the world, uh, things are not nearly as comfortable as we think. For instance, there are Christians, and for the last several months, uh, maybe even a year, in Ethiopia, Tigray, ever heard of that, uh, that are dying. Uh, so it's not something that we, you know, it's not getting quite the news coverage that some other catastrophes are. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, brothers and sisters all over the world um, struggle with violence uh, in ways that we, and deprivation, that we, <clears throat> it would be hard for us to understand. And so it's a good, good day for us to think a little bit about fasting. So in light of that, let me pray. And then we'll uh, jump into the text. Uh, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace. Lord, you are all those things. And so I pray that we would see manifest uh, in our world those attributes come to bear on uh, our lives, our conflicts, our fears, uh, and even our comfort. And so now, Lord, as we turn to what you said about this discipline of fasting, I pray that you would bless us, help us. Uh, Lord, we are so weak. Uh, and so I pray that you would use even this to teach us uh, the value of weakness. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, Matthew 6, uh, 16 to 18, text is in the bulletin. Also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you. So on Wednesday, as we've already announced, we'll have a, uh, an Ash Wednesday service. We'll enter into the period of Lent. I know some of you hate Lent for a whole variety of reasons because of theological convictions or other things. <clears throat> I generally think it's a good thing for us to do because um, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't do very well with doing without. And so whatever else Lent may be doing, it may, it, it's good for that. And the other thing that is good about Lent that we don't think very much about is that on Ash Wednesday, uh, uh, one of the things that uh, is thematic through that service is the reminder that you are mortal. In other words, you're going to die. And so whatever else we may say about the world, whatever else we may say about our lives, however else we may be thinking about managing that, it is a good thing to be reminded of that. And one of the reasons why it's a good thing to be reminded of that is because it makes life better. It makes it more precious. It makes it more valuable. It makes it something that uh, we shouldn't and don't take for granted when we come to grips with that. And so as we enter into this season of Lent, I know that I hear often from people, well, what are you going to do about Lent? Well, I'm going to give up chocolate. And some people are like, well, I'm not going to give up chocolate. I'm going to give up dark chocolate, specifically that chocolate, which is 50% or more cocoa. Only Americans could 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 do that, right? Uh, or I'm going to give up wine or beer or crusty bread, right? Um, all of those things, right, that are uh, so, uh, so interesting to us. I, I just think it is a, it's an interesting perspective on, uh, on the season. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we didn't have enough money for me to get the quarter to buy the school lunch, uh, which was a good thing in the cafeteria because uh, rumor had it in the third grade that all that food came from prisons and it was rejected by the prisoners, and that's why uh, it in, ended up in the cafeteria of Huntersville Elementary School. And so I remember, you know, my mom packing my lunch, telling me, save your quarter, uh, you can buy milk. The milk was in a little half cup thing. It was four cents, which was hard because the, when you gave the lady the nickel for it, she never had a penny change. Uh, and for six cents, you could get a little ice cream after, uh, after lunch. But we didn't have the money to do that. And I, most of the time, I didn't really care because I looked at what my friends were eating in the lunchroom, and it was gross. It looked pretty nasty to me. I'm like, I'm glad I'm not eating that, except on Fridays. I, when I was a kid, because, because we raised everything and we ate everything, there was this mystique about processed foods that it must be superior. And so I remember looking at the fish sticks that were served on Friday thinking, that is a gourmet meal. I'm going to save my money and get me a quarter so I can eat those fish sticks on Friday. And I remember mentioning to my mom one day that, you know, we, it's, you know, do we have fish sticks on Friday in the cafeteria because it's almost the weekend and we're all celebrating? 
you know, that, hey, let's have something festive because it just looks so good. And she's like, no, it's the Catholics. And I was like, there's a conspiracy <laughs> with, with the Catholics making us, you know, having fish sticks. I'm like, well, that seems like a good thing, right? You know, I never saw any nuns running around in the cafeteria at Huntersville Elementary School, but I thought, you know, hey, Presbyterianism, we might get a bump in church growth, right? If we, if we had a day where we all ate fish sticks, because who doesn't love fish sticks, right? So uh, she tried to explain to me that it had something to do with Lent and foregoing meat and all this kind of stuff. Since then, I've done some research on it. It's very confusing to try to figure out where this tradition came from and what it means and uh, that sort of thing. But isn't it funny, right? how we come at these kind of physical, public, spiritual disciplines, right? And to figure out our way uh, uh, around that. Now, um, Jesus has been addressing in this part of the sermon the three pillars of piety. The first one, giving to the poor. He says, he expects, he looks for, his people to give to the poor. Secondly, he expects and looks for his people to be people of prayer, to be regularly praying, and he teaches us his prayer, and he talks to us about how to do that. And then thirdly, he says to us that he expects us to fast, which I suspect and expect that for most of us in this room and for most of us, certainly North Americans, Fasting is something we don't do very much of. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One is because there could be some kind of weird legalism around it. Uh, there could be some kind of strange thing like that. Sometimes we misinterpret, you know, the fact that uh, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus' disciples and said, you know, we fast, why doesn't your master fast? And they didn't know why they didn't fast. And Jesus says, well, you don't fast when the bridegroom's around, but when the bridegroom's gone, you're going to fast. So, so the fact is, we, we kind of misinterpret that and think, well, you know, fasting's not that important. Jesus doesn't say in this text, not if you fast, but he says when you fast. So his expectation is that, they, that these three things, giving to the poor, uh, regular and faithful prayer, and fasting would be regular parts of the, of the spiritual lives, the religious lives, the lives of his people. And so, as, as we think about that, as we unpack that, it's important for us to think a little bit about that and, and to hear Jesus' instructions about it and to take these things to heart. So it is, uh, it's, it's important for us to... Uh, to, to think about that. Now, one of the things, too, that's interesting about it is for us to uh, suddenly bring back somebody who was standing there at the, at, on the mountainside when Jesus spoke these words, and he were to come here, and we were to enter into it with, with the, uh, one of those people in a discussion about fasting, when we said we're going to fast from chocolate or wine, or we're going to fast from the internet or TikTok or um, uh, Instagram or the the metaverse, or whatever those things are that we might fast from, it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. 
because, and, and, and fasting in a culture and in a place where when you wake up in the morning, you're thinking, I have to work today to get, scrape up enough to get something to eat, is very different from us waking up and throwing open the refrigerator and thinking, what in this refrigerator am I going to abstain from today? You see the difference? <laughs> so when Jesus begins to speak to these people about fasting, it's a, it's a completely different way of thinking about it, and a completely different re relationship with food and sustenance than we have. Uh, it was just a generation ago. I mean, I, I, have un I had uncles uh, uh, who were World War II veterans who had issues getting into the service in the early 40s because they had been malnourished as kids. I, have two, I had two uncles who walked through life very bow-legged because they had rickets when they were kids. Many of you don't even know what that is. You never heard of that. Look it up. Uh, so uh, my dad had intestinal issues his whole life because he went long periods of time as a kid without anything to eat. You, you know, if you're a baby boomer, you remember watching uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, and you remember them talking about eating groundhogs and possums and stuff. They did that. That's how they, they lived. And so, so for us, as we think about this thing, for most of us in North America, eating like this is something, or fasting like this, is something that is, comes out of abundance, not uh, out of need to begin with. So that's, that's the first thing that we have to see. So this is a pretty profound thing that Jesus is getting at. And yet, those people there in the first century regularly and willingly engaged in the practice of fasting. Now, Jesus is going to correct a lot of the, the motivation and a lot of the heart behind it. But the fact is, fasting was a regular part of what they did. Because we don't have time to do a survey of this, but I wrote this uh, to you on Wednesday that fasting in the Bible has a number of applications. Often, fasting is synonymous with humbling ourselves before God. Uh, uh, Esther calls on uh, Mordecai and the Israelites who are in uh, exile in Persia to, hum uh, to humble themselves by fasting so that when she goes to the king to ask for help, uh, that he will receive her. Sometimes it's used as a way to practice self-denial and self-discipline. One of the things that we forget about the nature of the gospel and the fruit of the gospel in our lives is that if I believe Jesus, if I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I believe he rose again for my justification, and I believe that as a result of that, he has filled me with his spirit, then I believe that he has given me fruit from that spirit in my life. And one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Right? Sometimes it's a way of repenting, and practicing sorrow over sin. In other words, sometimes we, we demonstrate, it's not a penance that we do this, but it is a recognition of our lack and our inability to obey and our failures. And so we turn aside from our normal routines to do some business uh, with our Father. Sometimes we fast to set aside the time that we would normally be eating to spend that time in spiritual practice. 
And sometimes I fast because this is something that I learned years ago. I used to, uh, as a younger man, I used to fast a lot and it was miserable. I hated it. And I would think this is the dumbest thing. This is a waste of time because all I'm, I'm not thinking about Jesus. I'm thinking about a cheeseburger. I'm thinking about when can I get my next meal? Which, ironically, is a good thing to have to confront because if that's how you are, that's how you are. That's how weak you are. That's how necessary your comforts, your creature comforts are to you. And if you're that undone by going a few hours without some calories, how weak and it's always good. A great spiritual exercise to be reminded of our weakness, right? Um, and finally, sometimes we fast as a sacrifice so that we use what we would have spent on food as an offering for the poor and the hungry. I was part of an organization in college where, where we would do that. And occasionally, um, ironically, not unlike my fish stick story, that sometimes we would... Uh, they would eat beans and cornbread for lunch, which, you know, I grew up on beans and cornbread. And so all the rich kids around me were like, aren't we special by foregoing our normal meal by eating beans and cornbread? And I'm like, beans and cornbread? Seconds, please. You know, this, this, is, uh, uh, this, this is good eating. So, so the fact is, is, as we look at that, there are all sorts of reasons for why we do that. So Jesus expects us to be about the business of doing that at various times, at various places, in various situations that the church may find itself in. He expects us to participate in the discipline of fasting. But the issue is, just like it is with the issue of giving, that people would blow the trumpet in front of their gifts, or the, the fact that people would stand out on the street corner praying loudly, not so that they would be heard by God, but so that they would be noticed and heard by others, that there's also, there was also the tendency for us to be so hungry for the affirmation or the notice of other people that we would actually fast in a way so that other people would notice that we are fasting. Many of us, almost all of us, are so hungry for affirmation, so hungry for somebody to recognize our accomplishment, our worth, our value, our spirituality, that we will do things and manipulate things so that somebody else will see. And Jesus knows that about us, and he says, well, good, you know, when you get the affirmation or you get the person to, to notice or whatever, that's your reward. Did that fill you up? So what we have to recognize about this then is, is that being seen fasting and that, and, and, you know, people may notice that you are skipping meals. Nothing wrong with that. But being seen fasting and fasting to be seen are not the same, right? Being seen fasting is a mere external event, but fasting to be seen is a self-exalting motive of the heart. In other words, what Jesus, just like he's gotten through these other things, he's like, I expect you to fast, and I think it will be a good thing, and I will meet you. My Father will meet you in the secret place when you fast. But you do it in such a way that you're turned in your discipline, turned in your fasting to the one who loves you, to the one who will fill you, to the one who will be there for you, right? 
Now, there's an interesting conundrum in this passage, if you, if you read it, and that's this. In verse 17, he says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, culturally, that doesn't mean a lot to us, does it? It doesn't mean, when, when we read that, what, what is Jesus saying? Well, in the first century, when someone anointed themselves and they washed their face, that was what you did to prepare yourself to eat a festive meal. So isn't it interesting? Jesus is saying to us, listen, you don't, you don't you know, act like you're you know, putting on a religious show when you fast. Actually, when you fast, what you should appear like is like you are going to a feast, that you're participating in a festival. Now, when I first read that, I thought this week, you know, well, that, you know, that, that you're doing that, you're doing that to kind of trick the people around you, right? So that they would look at you and say, well, he doesn't look like he's fasting, but, he's, but he really is. But that's not what he's getting at. Jesus is saying, when you fast, get ready to feast. When you fast, you are preparing yourself and setting yourself in, in a position to, to be filled by your heavenly Father. That your Father who will meet you in secret will provide for you food that you probably, well, not probably, that you don't get food for your spirit. Now, let me just say a word about that. I know some of you are sitting here right now thinking, Steve's never fasted, if he could say that. Right? Because when I fast, it's miserable. I hate it. Yeah. Um, you know, we have this thought, and I don't know if this is our culture that does this or whatever, that, that our expectation is that when we do these things, we're going to feel good, feel better. And sometimes we do, no doubt about it. Um, but I think those of you who have loved someone who was difficult or sacrificed for someone else uh, in love, know that often the act of sacrificing in love for someone else feels like death. It's hard, right? When you set aside your own desires, your own needs, in that sense, for the sake of someone else, that, that's challenging. At least in the moment, sometimes it, it is very challenging. Well, the same thing is true about fasting. I think sometimes we think, well, you know, if I fast, suddenly I'm going to be transported into the seventh heaven and everything's going to be great and wonderful and uh, uh, exciting and that sort of thing. But really what's going on here is we should expect our bodies uh, to, uh, when we are uh, depriving them of calories, to, to feel rough. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that Jesus is not filling us, that he is not giving us a sense of his grace and his glory as we experience that weakness and at the same time experience the assurance of his grace and his love and his presence with us. And so, yeah, it is hard. It is challenging. And it's especially hard and challenging uh, if you have some sort of expectation that every time you fast, you're going to have some sort of uh, spiritual high. But what Jesus wants us to understand is that when we practice this and we do it in a way in which 
we turn aside from the expectations and the affirmation of others that we can expect our Father to be there with us in secret. So even when one fasts, our appearance is to be festive, reflective of our joy over belonging to our Father. And so we experience a joy at what God has done in Christ that is more reflected, uh, reflective in our outer appearance than the effects of fasting, right? So I think the logic of the passage is that we feed our souls on the applause of men, the affirmation of men, or on communion with our Father. Now, um, I think, uh, again, I've given you a, a list of reasons why to do this. I've given you a list of reasons why I think it's, it's a positive thing. All of those things are good uh, and worthwhile. And uh, let me just say that on uh, Thursday, I got a lot of emails from people, a lot for people who had read the uh, Wednesday uh, churchwide email about fasting and in light of the news were telling me that they were fasting that day over the world situation. That's a good thing. It was encouraging. That uh, stirred me to think, you know, uh, people are seeing and experiencing the truth of the gospel in a way that's causing them to turn to their father who can do something about the situation. Uh, and they're taking the time and the energy to forego food to do that. It was a good thing. Let's do more of that. But there's one last thing I want to draw your attention to about fasting that I did not mention and I wanted to draw particular attention to today. And that's this. If you study the history of the church uh, from uh, its earliest days, you will see a connection between prayer and fasting and mission. Uh, many, 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 many times before the missionary work of the church, before the kingdom of, uh, growth in the kingdom of God, the saints of God take time to pray in the fast. Not only is that true of the saints of God, that's even true of Jesus. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, great text, right? We, we read that text and we see where Jesus goes and he interacts with the woman there from uh, Samaria. Uh, she's been married a million times. The guy she's living with now is not, uh, is not her husband. She has to come at that period of the day to get the water from the well because she's a pariah in her own village. Uh, and Jesus has that great interaction with her where he just calls, you know, calls her out about her sin and yet reveals himself to her, and he's very kind and loving in the way in which he does that. And so what's funny about this is, so he has this conversation with her, and as is typical in the Gospels, the disciples are late to the party. So they come up. And one of the other things, if you ever want to do a study about the uh, disciples, the thing that's really great about them is how much time and energy they spend thinking about food. They're talking to, uh, to Jesus a lot about where their next meal is going to come from, even though Jesus is a bread factory, right? He, he, uh, he can feed thousands like that. They're concerned we might have to do without Anyway, there they are at the, at the, at the well, right? And so uh, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. 
Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Why? He's not been eating. He's fasting. He's going without food to do this work, right? But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? (laughs) That's so awesome. Where is it? Maybe we can get some, right? So my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the people streaming out of this village. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Listen, Jesus went without food. He fasted, and he interacted with a woman at a well. And someday in heaven, you'll meet people from this village. People woke up that morning going about their regular business, not knowing that Jesus was about to disrupt their lives for eternity through his prayer, through his fasting, and through his interaction and faithful witness to the woman at the well. He went without a little bit of food to pray and to turn and to do this work. But the church has done that as well. We read about the church in Antioch in Acts 13. Now, there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You wouldn't be here today, probably if these guys in Antioch hadn't prayed and fasted. The whole missionary endeavor of Paul the Apostle gets started by a group of Christians. We've got a a few of their names. They're in Antioch who fasted and prayed, and God moved in that. And now we have the Apostle Paul. Right? So I just want to encourage you today, if you're, if you're frustrated or you're concerned about God's world mission, here's a place to start. Right? And uh, to give yourself to that, because somehow or other in God's economy, when the saints of God take the time to fast and to pray, very often the mission of the church becomes much more fruitful. It's a great thing for us as we think about fasting and try to figure that that one out, that what God gives to us today to help us in that is a meal, uh, to remind us uh, that as we come to eat the bread and we drink the cup, uh, that heaven, uh, there will be no fasting in heaven. It will just be one long party of feasting, 
But as we come to him today, we are recognized that God gives to us something physical, something tangible that we can see, smell, taste, hold, uh, to meet uh, our spiritual need. And so it's a great thing for us as we come to him today to recognize our weakness and to cry out to him to do this work of preparing us uh, and of calling us to be able to turn aside just from a little bit of food uh, to seek him. Join with me in these words of institution. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Would you join me in praying using this confession of sin? I am a poor sinner. I confess before you, my God and creator, that I have grievously sinned against you in many ways, not only by gross outward sins, but much more through inward natural blindness, unbelief, doubts, despondency, impatience, pride, covetousness, secret envy, hatred, malice, and other sinful affections which you see in me, my Lord and God, and which, alas, I cannot always see in myself. I repent of these and cry to you for your mercy through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy.